0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Digital CXO Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bizard, and I'm here with Judith Hurwitz, who heads up the TechStrong Research Group, an arm of TechStrong Group, which is publisher of DevOps.com, Security Boulevard, and of course, Digital CXO. Judith, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you very much. Nice to talk to you.
0: All right, let's dive in. There was a survey from an outfit called Sierra and they are a customer experience platform, but it was one of the first ones that I've seen that dug in an issue that I've been kind of scratching at myself. I feel like right after the pandemic, everybody and his brother stood up and said, I too have a digital business transformation (laughs) initiative and we're going to do all these awesome things because we need to reassure shareholders that we're not going to go under. And now here it is two years later and... The survey kind of finds that the senior level executives have a very high opinion of those efforts, and maybe the mid level executives and the lower down are kind of much more skeptical. There's a big divide between what the C level seems to say is happening and what the rank and file understands is happening. And I'm personally, I tend to believe the rank and file a little bit more, but I don't know, maybe you have a different point of view on that. But I suspect that a lot of these efforts are not. Anywhere near the level of uh, fruition or expectation originally promised? What's your take?
1: Yeah, so I I I agree with you, Mike. I think I think the issue is that everybody knows that they need to change and that processes are sort of broken and they can't react fast enough to business changes and what customers are expecting. Um, however, there there definitely is a disconnect between what what their aspirations are and then what's happening on the ground and you always know that that there are problems when the rank and file sort of looks at you and says i don't know what they're talking about we got work to do so so digital transformation is not sort of a quick fix it requires not only you know new technology initiatives But it also requires um, a lot of internal cultural change. And sometimes the cultural change across the organization is much more difficult than, you know, oh, let's pick this this cool technology and and get started.
0: I also feel like. Digital transformation is one of those things that's in the eye of the beholder, and somebody will turn around and say, we stuck a mobile front end on a legacy app and called it digital business transformation and didn't really change the processes so much. So, do we need a deeper definition of what this digital process transformation really means or or are there ways to think about it as degrees of transformation?
1: I, I think we actually have to take a step back and and define what it is. Um, I think that's one of the problems with the term digital transformation. Trans you know tra- you know just take the term transformation. What are you transforming? Are you transforming the way you do business, your business processes, the way you use technology, the way people collaborate uh, across business units and Business silos, so it's it, it's not one thing; it's a lot of things. And, and I think that you know the sometimes the CEO uh, you know intuitively understands the need to support customers better, to change quickly in order to you know um, uh, get more revenue more quickly, but translating that into behavior and to business processes. That's something that the team underneath that uh, CEO has to do. And, you know, you might have a um, a digital uh, CXO, but that person is not cannot possibly achieve goals in isolation. They have to they have to um, have everybody around them across the organization being in sync with with what their marching orders are.
0: The other thing about this survey that I guess I found, well, I don't know if I would say I'm surprised I've been at this too long, but um, a large percentage of folks were saying that these initiatives that they launched did not or were not engaged necessarily with their IT squads. And it seems like to me... I don't know how far you could get without IT squads in this thing, but um, do you think that some of these initiatives are just being launched randomly with, I don't know, external contractors, or how do you launch a digital initiative without thinking about the IT side?
1: Well, if you're not thinking about the IT side, you're probably going about that in the wrong way. And I have a feeling there are probably many um, uh, consulting organizations out there that see dollar signs and and uh, and are are uh, selling digital transformation processes and services w- without a clear roadmap, um, and and especially where 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 companies are really um, very anxious to to make these changes faster beca- because because there's so many threats out there to to you know incumbent uh, companies with you know, emerging companies um, uh, coming at them from all angles, that it's 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 actually very difficult and and they and sometimes digital transformation is a cry for help.
0: We've been talking about this divide between senior business leaders in IT for I don't know, 30, 40 years. Do you think it's getting any better? Do you think digital transformation forces the issue? Because to your earlier point, you can't really move anything forward as a CMO or as the CRO, as it were, without integrating other parts of the business. So do you think we're finally getting uh, maybe on the cusp of closing that divide after more years of effort than any of us care to admit
1: well, I I think some of the the tools um, out there uh, from a software perspective are getting better. I think there there's there's more capability out there. There there are more um, uh, systems that that help you um, gain a handle on, on things like business process management, you know, compliance and security, um, graphical, you know, interfaces. Um, New uh there's a lot of you know emerging very sophisticated technology. I think cloud um, helps a lot some of these SaaS platforms. But again, I think we come back to the idea of yeah, there, there are tools out there, there are processes out there, but you you know, it it has you know, I I call this you have to start having hybrid teams. You can't just have a team that's focused on technology, another team focused on business strategy, and yet another focused on on uh, business process, and and you name it. But um, but but these these teams have have to understand each other. So if you're if you're there uh, building an AI based platform but you don't understand what the business strategy is and what the business is trying to achieve not just next week but a year from now it doesn't work so so we have to it's not just you know hybrid computing or hybrid cloud but it's hybrid organizations
0: and you kind of sort through that for a minute i wonder if we perhaps uh, don't appreciate the complexity of these business processes. Sometimes I talk to folks and the process have been around so long that there's more exceptions than there are rules in the thing. And if there's not many rules, it's difficult to automate. So how do we get to some evaluation or discovery process when we're looking at these things that we allegedly want to make digital, but they're not really designed to scale because they have so many exceptions?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you, Mike. I, I, I think that this is not a new problem. Uh, I remember many years ago when when I worked at uh, John Hancock, and uh, and they uh, as an internal IT group, um, they were talking about, gee, there are these old processes and old rules in these systems, and and we we have to update them because we actually don't know what they do or what. You know what processes they they manage, um, and so it's it's a problem that's probably been around um, you know, as, as soon as something be- became legacy, which is probably you know what forty or fifty years, and some of those processes may be as old as that. So it's legacy is really hard, and and there's also there's there's inertia. If something works. Why, why would you change it? If it's something that you're not familiar with, it, it scares people and they're reluctant to say, um, OK, I'm going to go in a brave new world that I don't understand. Um, and, and people go back to their corners with what they know. So change is hard, whether it's technology change or business change. It's it's tough.
0: All right. I think a lot of folks are going to be uh, making phone calls to retirement homes, looking for people to explain to them how certain things actually work in their companies, because it's been that long, and they were probably the last people who remembered how the thing actually operated.
1: If if they still remember how they operate,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let me shift gears though, because I do want to talk a little bit about AI. And there was this launch of a new set of services from Oracle. Um, They're essentially pre-made or pre-configured AI models that Oracle will curate on your behalf. You can then use those against your own data or just go with the models as is, and you call them as APIs. And it sounds relatively simple compared to what we've seen so far. Um, My question to you, though, is um, do you think that AI is going to be this kind of Continued heavy lifting effort, or can we get to the point where it is just a bunch of API services that we're calling into the cloud and we might not even call it AI in the future? They're just new capabilities. I seem to remember a time in my life when people thought word processors were artificial intelligence, you know, things evolve, things move (laughs) along. Um, And so, are we on the cusp of, I guess, you know, when I talked to one fellow at Oracle, he says the goal is to make all this stuff boring.
1: Um, it, I think it's going to be a while before AI is boring. Um, yes, there, the, you know, and, and Oracle is not alone. There are many uh, companies out there, out there that are um, that are you know creating models. You then populate it with your data, but it's it's complicated because it's not just populating with your data. What is the data? How clean is that data? Um, uh, is it the right data? are you training the models on your data sufficiently so so it's it's still it's not an easy process and it won't be for for quite a while so it's it, it is definitely complicated there there are some other issues as well for example you know what are what are you tr- actually trying to achieve um, with with your AI models? Um, be, because uh, a lot of what people are doing is sort of b- at, at one end of the spectrum, it's simple correlation. You know what's the relationship between A and B, or on the the more sophisticated spectrums of the new stuff is the whole idea of causality. You know. Um, You know, it it may be true that people that the guys who buy beer um, also buy diapers. So there is definitely a correlation, but it's nonsense. It it has there's no cause and effect. So so I think we still have a long way to go. The other issue there is is trust and explainability. So I can create a model populated with data but I have to be able to explain, OK, I decided not to give somebody a loan based on my model and, and the data I populated with. What, you know, can you explain why I accepted person A and not person B? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. There's, there, you know, we still have a long way to go.
0: All uh, right. Speaking for all guys everywhere, anytime my wife sends me to the store, I buy beer no matter what because you never know when you're gonna. But run do out. you buy diapers? I might buy diapers. It doesn't <laughs> matter what else. I buy whatever on the list, and then I add beer to the <laughs> list. <laughs> um. I think there's a a cultural problem coming, and I don't think that we're going to be able to head it off, but we have all these data science teams that are building up their own platforms and their own MLOps platforms with feature stores and all this other stuff. And then we have DevOps teams that have Git repositories for managing artifacts and all these other things. And we're allowing these two teams to kind of work at different cadences and different levels, but eventually that AI model needs to get shoved into an application somewhere, and we don't really seem to be putting the right processes in place to make that happen or reduce that friction. What we're getting is the classic data science team creates AI model, throws it over the wall and hopes for the best. Can we do better?
1: Oh, yes, <laughs> we <laughs> definitely can do better than that. Um, in in uh, a book that uh, that we wrote um, uh, last year, we talked about augmented intelligence, Because if you think that you're going to create a model populated with data, put it into an application, you can just walk away, uh, you're in trouble. For example, let's say that you have uh, an AI platform that reads x-rays, and it can tell you that, gee, I see a pattern, I see a problem. Uh, Do you want that AI model to then say, and based on what I see in this x-ray, this is how I'm going to treat you as a patient, do you want that model to be making that type of decision? Probably not. It it, you know, it becomes a tool for somebody for a doctor making a treatment uh, decision. Uh, so so, I think that that's one of the key issues. We you know, it's not going to be as though AI just go goes uh, remote control and. And, and does all this work for you and makes decisions. It's much more complicated than that. And, and I just th- think that um, AI teams, data scientists who work in isolation are, are, are failing um, be, because uh, again, it comes back to those hybrid teams. You have you have to be able to collaborate between the data scientists, the business leaders, people who understand the data, that already exists within the organization. You can't do any of these in isolation.
0: And then the other issue is the models themselves drift. Business conditions Mm -hmm. change, more data gets collected, suddenly the optimization isn't what you thought it was going to be. Probably maybe you might even have the wrong optimization in the first place, because I think a lot of people optimize to what they want to have happen versus what should happen. There's a subtle difference there. Do you think we have the tools for keeping track of all these AI models once they get deployed in production, or are they just all going to get rolled back?
1: Well, we probably you know, don't have enough control. I think that there are some emerging companies working on that problem, but we're not there yet. Um, the, you know, the, One of the, the core issues is when you train a model, you're not done. You have to constantly retrain that model because you're, you're in, incorporating new data in there. So unless you're constantly refreshing that, retraining that, you, you do have that model drift thing, things uh, get out of whack. You're making decisions based on, on data that's, that's no longer
0: relevant. All right, so if you build a model, you're going to own it forever. I want to shift a <laughs> <shift the> small <laughs> gear here, though. Um, as I look post COVID, and there's this report out from the folks at Dynatrace just talking about the challenges that people are having around continuous delivery. It seems to me, at least, that with digital transformation, some of this stuff is actually working through. And there's going to be a lot more applications that people are trying to deploy simultaneously. Do you think that there's a bottleneck coming where we're not going to be able to really deploy and update applications at the level of frequency we want because we just don't have the mechanisms to do that, or the skills or the processes in place to make that happen?
1: Well, I I think we're we're starting to see the emergence of of tools that that you know, the design point. Is that continuous um, integration, continuous uh, deployment? So, so you know that's starting to happen. Um, it again, as as with any any you know new approaches, um, we we are somewhat early. I mean, you know, there's there's statistics out there that. You know, it used to be that an application was updated, you know, once every couple of years, even five years. Now, um, applications are updated and changed. It could, could be, you know, 10 times a day. Um, so so being able to keep up with that, you've got to really have a, an experienced team that is focused and, and understands that that's what they have to do. I think tools are getting better. Um, uh, in a, a a survey that uh, that uh, strong Research uh, did not too long ago, we we uh, talked to people in development and deployment, the DevOps teams, and there is a, really an acknowledgement that things like testing are not is not an afterthought. That there is uh, an acknowledgement that the teams, whether they're doing development, Deployment, testing, all have to work in concert with each other. So, I, I, I do see a change starting to happen, but, but, uh, but you still have a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah, I think digital CxOs are going to be in for a surprise. I think they spend so much time launching projects and getting that front end of the pipeline going, and then patting themselves in the back without realizing that the back end is pretty clogged as it is, and so we're yeah. going to have a hard time rolling out a lot of those the, things, but we'll see.
1: Yeah, the, the front end is sexier than the back end.
0: As always. Um, and then lastly, VMware is independent once again. And, ah, yes. Um, and, and, and my question, though, is... Um, you know, when I think about VMware, they are king of the local data center on-premises environment. I think their shift to the cloud is a little bit with mixed success, but they're positioning themselves as to become the provider of frameworks, plural, for managing IT services across multiple clouds. And and that's a subtle difference in that what they're saying is not really like a hybrid cloud in the sense that there won't be one management console to rule them all, there'll be a federated set of management consoles for different capabilities that are integrated with each other. And I think a lot of IT people have it in their head that somehow or other one day there will be this magic Uber framework for managing everything, but is that realistic or is the VMware where approach more reasonable?
1: Um, uh, I'm not sure. Um. You know the 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 idea of multi cloud has become a a a reality because organizations no longer want to be in the position where okay we've got one cloud we've got one server um, and and we're all set um, you know the reality is different different departments different divisions all have their their favorite cloud providers. Um, and and companies also don't want to get stuck in a position where they're beholden to a, a single vendor. Um, so multi cloud is is definitely you know going to be here for a long time. Um, man- managing uh, cloud services. Is not something that that VM uh, VMware is not the only company uh, focused on this. You've you've got a lot of vendors out there, you know, focused on that. I mean, IBM is doing a lot of work at that area as well as as um, as our um, you know uh, Google, Google and Microsoft and all the rest. They all have platforms uh, aimed at that. So, you know, is VMware a little bit late? To that party, um, uh, it could be. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think where VMware had a real hold on the market was really th- through their virtual machine platform, um, and that's that's where they really had a lock on on customers, um, and and you know some some you know some uh, good way to to manage that tor- sort of environment. Will that translate into a lock on uh, overall cloud management? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I think, I think that that uh, uh, it's, it's not clear that that any one vendor will figure that out. And it probably has to be from some sort of open source um, uh, platform that enables you to manage um, your assets. And, uh, and your multi-cloud environment. So, you know, w- once that starts to happen, then you're going to see see that really evolve.
0: I think there's a tendency to oversimplify the challenge that's ahead because everybody seems to talk about, you know, my hypervisor running on the data center versus in the cloud, and that's a monolithic application. But as we roll out all these microservices-based applications, there's now containers, there's Kubernetes, there's serverless computing frameworks, the entire so-called uh, IT estate is more distributed, more complex. Yep. Do you think organizations are going to be able to absorb all that, or will they eventually just choke on it all?
1: Well, you know, it's it always seems easier from you know the thousand-foot view. Um, the The problem is you containerize things, but not all containers are the same. So you've got lots of different. Types of containerization approaches to contain, containerization. How do you manage um, a a complex containerized environment? So there, you know, the the proof will be in the details. How how do you manage the details of that? You know, the the approach is the right one. How do you get it to actually work? Is is where the challenge
0: is. All right. I think we're saying it's time to roll up our sleeves. Rolling up our sleeves. (laughs) (laughs) Judith, as always, thanks for being on the show. Great. Great to be with you. All right. And thanks for listening to our show on the Digital CXO website. You can find complete episodes as well as show notes with links to the stories we discussed today. And you can follow us on your favorite social media platform and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you all next time.